Okay, welcome to episode 81 of Running Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Hudfield, and we've got a bit of a bumper episode for you today. Uh, we've been lucky enough to secure the male and female winners of the prestigious Aura, so Australian Ultra Runners Association Ultra Runner of the Year Award. So we've got, yeah, the male and female champions. So a couple of interviews today, plus a little chat with our good friend Steve Redfern in between. Uh, but first, I'd like to thank our podcast partners, so Goo Energy, Fractel, Sydney Brewery, Gaimi Allied Health Centre, Basecamp Altitude, Precision Hydration, Ranella, and Raid Light Australia. And don't forget to jump on and pick up some bargains from our partners. So uh, check out the show notes for the various discount codes for running kit, hydration, etc. And they'll have websites that you can jump on and have a look at some gear. Now, uh, being almost International Women's Day, we've adopted the convention ladies first, and I've got the incredible Margie Hadley here with us. But uh, make sure you stick around after our first interview for a quick word from our friend of the show, Steve Redfern, about the shiny new race he's putting together in southern Sydney, and then our second interview, interview with male ultra runner of the year, Michael Hooker. So we'll get started. Uh, welcome, Margie, all the way from sunny Western Australia. How are you? Really good. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. It's an honour to have you guys on the show. It's, uh, I was really excited to get the chance. It's fantastic. I'll, um, I'll just quickly list the, I guess, the 2020 achievements that brought you the, the Ultra Under the Year Award. So uh, we have first up the Australia Day Ultra 100K, first female in 908. Birdie's Backyard Ultra, first female with 201.3 kilometres in 40 hours. That's astonishing, and we'll talk about that later. It was 30 hours, actually. 30 hours. Oh. Yeah. Mike did 40. <laughs> That's even more astonishing. There you go. Uh, the Running Works Festival 50K, first female in three hours, 52, and Lighthouse Ultra 12 hour, first female and first overall with 116K. So that's an incredible list. You must be tired. Yeah, um, I, I enjoyed all of those races. They were really good. It was it was great um, to get the opportunity actually to run them last year, given the circumstances. So, yeah. That's, that's right. I mean, say what you will about, you know, premiers of different states at the moment, but WA certainly has managed to put on some events. Um, I'm incredibly jealous. You must feel fortunate. We've been, grateful. We've been really lucky, really lucky over here. Yeah. yeah. And, and so were there were there races that didn't go ahead or, or was everything sort of uh, as normal? Yeah, some of the bigger ones didn't go ahead. Um, even just recently, uh, Delirious West, which is a 200-miler, uh, just uh, it was meant to be held in February and this year and it didn't go ahead as well. So we did have a few races that had to be postponed or cancelled, unfortunately. Um, and then... The event directors were really good with managing, you know. Um, so, for example, at like ADU and that, they uh, had to have where the volunteers couldn't, you know, do certain things on the aid stations and we had to take precautions in, you know, picking up food and drink and that as well. So they just managed it as best they could. Yeah, and it all, it all went pretty smoothly, all those changes you found it okay? Yeah, yeah, it was all pretty good, yeah, really. Fantastic. And, and were you uh, signed up to do the 200-mile the delirious thing over there? 
No, I'm not much of a trail runner. <laughs> that's a that's a trail run. It's it, I'd love to love to have a go at it, but um, yeah, not much of a trail runner. So maybe maybe one day. One day, never say never. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later <laughs> on. We better we better get uh, the genesis of Margie Hadley. How, how did you start your running career? Um, I've got a sporting background. I've always played sports, so rowing predominantly was something I did in netball when I was younger. And then I tried a bit of triathlon and uh, wasn't very good at it, so stopped. Um, <laughs> went back to rowing, a bit of cycling. And when I hit 30, I thought, you know, I'm going to have another go at triathlon and, and running. So I just started doing some half marathons and marathons um, and built up from there, basically. Okay. And, and so you... You obviously had quite a decent cardiovascular base from the rowing. I mean, the rowers are some of the fittest athletes getting around. How did you find that transition to to running, I suppose? I was really bad at running. Like I remember the first <laughs> I remember the first long longish run that I did um, when I started when I was thirty and I sort of started into it. and I was running seven minute pace dying like I, I wasn't very good at it at all it's just it's it's consistency and building up to it and um when you stop doing it like if you stop for two weeks and then you try and start again it can be quite difficult and I think that's when a lot of people sort of give up and you just have to keep going and push through that so yeah I mean I've I have, you know I've always been into sport but I don't know that it actually crosses over so, and, and you, yeah. you've touched briefly on the triathlon career. You, you've also suggested that you're an incredibly poor swimmer. So, um, yeah, the, the cardiovascular fitness <laughs> must be quite specific there. Yeah, I would be out of the water last. I was, it was probably uh, a bit to do with technique as well as fitness in swimming, but um, I was out of the water last. And lucky I was okay on the bike um, and I was average on the run so <laughs> i feel like you might be talking yourself down a fraction uh, yeah um and, and you managed to push yourself up and and, and do an ironman at one point in yeah again it's just that consistent training i think um so i just kept trying and i built up to half ironman and then uh yeah in 2013 i did the busso full Ironman which was like it was such an amazing event and I actually had um, by then I'd built my running up enough and I actually did a I think it was a three hour 40 something marathon you know off the back of a big swim and ride that I was I was stoked because I thought I'd do over four hours so it was pretty good yeah there's obviously some uh some running talent there that's a pretty sharp (laughs) Ironman marathon that's for sure and would have put you right up there um and after that initial, um, or that one and only Ironman you suggested, you, you had a, a cancer diagnosis. Can you can you tell us a little bit about what happened there? Yeah, so when I, um, when I was training for Ironman, I was working um, two jobs and I was, I was doing a lot of training. I was probably getting maybe three or four hours sleep a night and I thought I was just run down, um, you know, and then... I really wanted to race. Like I knew I was, I knew something was uh, like I wasn't well, but I didn't know what it was. And I really wanted to race Ironman. So I did the Ironman 
And then I thought oh, I probably should go and get checked out at the doctor. And um, yeah, just pretty much straight after they said, you, you know, so I was diagnosed with cervical cancer. Um, and in that was the start of 2014. And then I had surgery around June that year, first surgery for that. So had to have a bit of time off. Um, and it was a little bit of a slow comeback, but managed to keep going. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've certainly made up for some lost time there in the last five or six years, that's for sure. Um, yeah. We, we, we talk a lot in ultra marathons about finding your why, so your defining reason to succeed. Does uh, the, the cancer diagnosis and subsequent treatment and recovery play into your why when you're racing these ultras? I think it... I think it did. Um, when I came back, I just, I don't want to look back at things and, um, you know, I want to always be moving forward. So you can't, I can't look at that and think, or what if this had happened or what if that had happened? Um, I want to see what I can do and always push the limits. And, you know, like if I have a bad race, for example, I don't want to carry that forward into the next race or the next year. So you have to forget about that. You, you take away the bad bits. So to me, this, it was the same thing with having cancer. Like there were some um, things that, you know, we lost because of that, having cancer, but you can't dwell on those things. You need to keep moving forward and push on. And I think I try and apply that in, in racing and running in general, you know, so you, you're going to have bad times, but, you know, it's not always going to be like that and you need to keep moving forward and look to the future. So, yeah, I think that's, I apply it like that in running as well. Yeah. And, and certainly the, the kind of distances you're doing, there are always going to be those dark patches over time. So <laughs> it's important to understand that there is light at the end of that tunnel there somewhere. So good, good perspective. Yeah, exactly. Good perspective for sure. Um, after the after the recovery, how long did it take you to get back to some, I guess, some reasonable fitness? And, and it looks as though you've done some some ultra marathon stuff pretty soon afterwards. So how how long was it? Well, technically, they told me I wasn't meant to be running for twelve months, but um, six months later, I have a good friend who um, helped me through the recovery, and she's a, she's a runner as well. Um, although she'll tell you that she hates it. Um, but she sort of helped me get back and back into it. And I convinced her to run six inch ultra um, in December. So it was basically six months after the first surgery. Mm -hmm. um, and we ran it together so that I wouldn't feel like I had to race it and go hard. And for her, she'd only run... Um, she'd only run 8K before that. So, you know, to step up and do 48K, like she'd done some longer training runs, but to step up and do a 48K race is a pretty big thing. So, um, yeah, so six months uh, afterwards. And then in sort of 2016, I guess, is when I really stepped up to the ultras. I had another surgery in 2015. Um, so that had a bit of time off for that as well so then in 2016 is when I stepped up and did my first 50 miler which was feral pig ultra um and then a few months after that was the 12 hour at light horse okay 
So a pretty pretty reasonable progression there. Um, yeah. I mean, prior prior to the cancer stuff, did you, did you have that drive and that competitive nature already, or has it sort of come subsequently? Um, I'm probably I would say I'm fairly competitive anyway, but definitely after having cancer, I think yeah, just push my limit, but not to be competitive with other people so much, but to be to, to push me to see what I can do to um, be competitive with myself more than anything. Yeah. Yeah, and, and look, you certainly continue to push those boundaries. <laughs> impressive. Um, I've got a six-foot track uh, ultra coming up this Saturday. Now, I just wanted to quickly touch on what the six-inch ultra is. How, is this the, the younger? Oh, it's a, it's a 48K trail run. It's um, Dave Kennedy... It's, I think it's actually meant to be 46K, but he um, maybe adds a few kilometres here and there. So it's just a trail run down south in um, WA and it's a great event. So, yeah. So he's, he's kind of a bit of a Lazarus Lake style, just a stroking a white cat, just changing the course when he feels like it. He, yeah. We've got a couple of event directors over here that tend to do that. So uh, Sean, Kes, Sean Kessler is known for his Kessler meters. <laughs> that sounds uh that sounds dodgy <laughs> so, yeah and, and look so I, I guess flash flash forward to uh 2018 and, and you know between 2014 when you did that 48k you know race and, and then qualifying for the australian team to run in the 100k world championships that's that's a pretty steep progression um yeah, how, how did you, I guess, what, what were you changing to get to that point? Um, just building up the Ks and, again, consistency. Consistency is key. It's the most important thing, you know, um, getting back out there when you don't have good runs, just keep doing what you're doing and pushing through. That's, that's the most important thing. It's just good, consistent, solid training. Yeah. So, yeah. I think I think there's something to that. I think yeah, a lot a lot of people look for that quick answer, but uh, potentially it's not there anyway. I think with ultras, you've just got to build up to it, and there's a lot of setbacks that you have. There's a lot of, you know, I think good races are, you know, there's you don't always have good races. More so, you'll have a bad race, but you learn from those, and you just keep pushing on. So yeah, yeah. Very good. Can you explain to the listeners how the uh, qualification for the Australian 100K team works? Where do you qualify? What What are the qualifying times? Yeah, so it needs to be a certified course. Um, so ADU 100K over here is a certified, I think it's probably the only certified course over here in WA. And uh, the an A qualifying time is a sub eight hour, 30 minute. And a B qualifying time, I believe, is a sub 8.50. And then anything after that is a C qualifying time. So um, qualifying for Croatia, they, I think we had maybe two or three girls that had done a A qualifying time. And then normally that only, previously they'd only taken three or four um, females and males. But because we had such a strong group, um, they ended up taking about eight of each, which was really, really good. So I only had a B qualifier 
for that. Um, so I didn't actually know if I'd make the team um, for Croatia. But then when they said they were opening it up and having a few more spots, uh, it was really good. So we had, a, we had a variety. There were a few A qualifiers, a few B, and even um, a C qualifier. But it was just a, it was a really strong team. Yeah. So, and the guys are even faster. Yeah, sort of doing seven and a half hour stuff from what I, I could see. Yeah. Seven, I think Brendan Davies might have clocked. So. Brendan Davies, he's just amazing. He just, yeah, flies. And in Croatia, the whole team was fantastic. Like the, especially the girls out on course, the Aussie girls supporting each other. So there was um, Larissa Tikun and she's, she was picked to sort of go like low eights, um, but she just didn't have the best race on the day. But she was still out there just, you know, cheering everyone on. She was, you know, just great to have out on course. And even though her race didn't go to plan, it was, you know, that that group was just amazing. Mm, that's fantastic. And running is one of these sports that we don't get that opportunity very often to run as a team. So how did that impact on your performance? Do you, do you feel like it was a benefit? Oh, absolutely. It was, yeah, um, just being able to cheer each other on. So it was a seven-lap seven course, I think, from memory. And, um, you know, we just pass each other, even Brendan Davies, like he was flying along, but every single time they saw you, they'd, they'd cheer you on and, you know, keep you going and words of encouragement. So, yeah, it was really good to have everyone there. Yeah. And how did he cope with, uh, with competing over in Europe? What, what were the challenges? Uh, it was hot and hilly. Oh, right. <laughs> we thought... <laughs> And this is this is a road course, right? Or, or it was a road course, um, and the hills weren't that big. But you know, by lap sort of four or five, they were that big. They were quite. And even Brendan Davies said at the end, it was probably one of the toughest courses that he'd run on as well. Um, it it was humid. I think we started, and it was maybe twenty two degrees, but it was something ridiculous, like eighty or ninety percent humidity. And uh, there was just no shade. It was just so hot out there. But it was it was amazing. Like to watch the elites come past you, uh, it was it was incredible. Like it's not daunting at all. And you don't. It's it's not like you're thinking, oh, I wish I was up there with them. Like it's just they're amazing to watch. To run with people of that caliber is fantastic. I love uh, I, I love the humble nature there, Mark. You're at the World 100K Championships and you're talking about the elites. I, I think that might just be you, actually. Funnily enough. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's just some there's some incredible runners out there, and you know Australia. We had Tash Fraser on the team. Um, she's from Ballarat, and she was she just flew. She she did I think an eight fourteen or something in you know tough conditions and. She's incredible. It's just, it's fantastic to watch them. Yeah, 100K at that pace is insane. Um, I, I ask this question a lot because I'm really poor at it personally, but how, how do you decide what, uh, what minute, minutes per K do you start, you know, a road 100K race? Where, where do you work that out? It's interesting. I've had a few people say, oh, I don't know what I can run. And it's, I, I think none of us do, like we, kind of going you know if I'm running 100k I know that I want like 
ADU this year, I wanted to do a sub 8.30. That was my only goal. Like I didn't care what else happened. I just wanted to do a sub 8.30 because I've been trying for so long. And I knew that I needed to hold around about, I think it's a 5.06 average overall for that. <clears throat> so I thought, you know, like I just, I know I need to hold just sub five because I know that at some point I'm going to blow up. Um, but at the end of the day, when you start, you just sort of go with what's comfortable. So if, you know, if I went out at 450 or 445 and that was comfortable, I would hold that for as long as possible. So I think everyone's the same. I don't think, you know, I mean, you can pick a rough pace, but you can't, you can't pinpoint it exactly. It has to be comfortable. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's always interesting what's comfortable at the start of a race and what's comfortable, yeah. isn't it? That's the trick, I suppose. I I think um, the way I train, a lot of my training runs are slow. Um, but what I do is actually try and progress through. Like nearly every training run I do, I end up finishing quicker okay. than what I started. And I think so that I apply that in, in racing because I don't I don't ever start out too fast in a race. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Okay. Well, that's, yeah that's, that's a clever way to do it. Now we'll, we'll talk about uh, your training. So you, you coach by Camille Heron, which, uh, you know, certainly one of the best in the business. How, how did you guys get together? Um, I, I did all my own training up until maybe a year and a half ago. And um, I started big, when I started building up the K, so I was clocking around 180 to 200K a week. Um, and I found that I was starting to get stress fractures and some injuries. And I, I know that I can do the distance, but obviously I needed to tweak something. Um, and so I decided I would say, you know, I wanted a coach that didn't know me and give me stuff that they knew I could do. So, and she, I know that she likes volume. A lot of coaches I, I don't think like, would like the volume that I do. And I would probably struggle with that. So she seemed like a good fit. Um, and we just email back and forth and she checks in on me weekly. And I'm doing the same. I'm doing anywhere from 160 to 200K a week. And lucky I've, I've not had any injuries. So the way she's getting me to run, um, you know, that's, that's what I'm after. And, and, and what have been the differences with, you know, the same volume? What have, what have you been tweaking to, uh, I guess, reduce that load somehow? Slower pace. I, I would be, I would do one speed session a week, um, maybe two every now and then. But generally I'm just doing one speed session a week and a lot of it is just long, slow, slow running mm -hmm. and i think that works that works for me anyway yeah yeah for sure and, and i guess you're in for your 100k you're talking about you know 450s being cruising pace what what speed are you doing your speed workout how, how much faster um it depends on the session so this morning i did um a 20k and i had five by five minutes so i was just sitting around four minute pace for the five minute on and just a, around 4.20s for the two minutes off. Yeah. Um, so she's very careful that when we do a speed session, it's not always a top-end speed session as well. You know, with the workload, um, so the last two weeks I've done 
two, just over 200 Ks per week. And I know that if I went out and tried to do something crazy, one, my legs probably couldn't do it, but two, it might lead to an injury. So yeah, we've just got to just sort of even it out, I guess, and balance it. Yeah. Keep that fine line happening. Um, you, yeah. You've spoken about uh, running, running your training in blocks of four weeks on and then one week off sort of stuff. Um, uh, how, how do you how do you have a week off? What, what what does a week off look like for you? Well, well, that's what I used to do when I was before I was training with Camille. So oh, I, I used to do that. Okay. Um, but currently, I don't have rest weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I've, I run seven days a week, and um, I think the last I can't even remember the last rest week so before ADU um, I think I did a my week was about 120k or 100 no it was 150k week before the week before racing ADU so and then ADU race week um, I did a couple of shorter runs but then with the 100k race I still probably did 120k for that week Mm -hmm. so um, yeah, she's that's that's the other thing. So I was doing a four and one block, which a lot of triathletes, a lot of runners do. Um, you know, two and one, three and one, or four and one. But um, she's got me running every day and hundred plus guys. Well, when you're, week, so. you're obviously thriving on it at the moment, so you can't really question that. Um, what 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 are you doing in between times? I mean, apart from working two jobs, by the sound of things, uh, do you have a bit of a regime of recovery there to get you through two hundred k's? Um, sleep. <laughs> um, not really. Like my my normal day would consist of getting up early. Usually, my my uh, long run is done in the morning. So it's usually 90 minutes to two hours in the morning and then straight to work uh, and home. And then usually a shorter run, which is about 30 to 45 minutes. Um, so it doesn't leave a lot of time to do much else. <laughs> and, and are you getting more than the three or four hours sleep you suggested earlier? I, I am now, yeah. So, yeah, now... Um, I, because I work for my like I work with my husband now. So um, previously I was working with him in his business, and I was working as a civil designer in another business. But um, I don't do civil design anymore. So yeah, we just work in one business now, which is good. One's enough. One's enough. That's yeah. For sure. and, and and on top of the recovery piece, obviously you're burning through a significant amount of calories there. How, how do you fuel a 200k a week? What, what's, uh, what's the secret? I eat, I eat everything. <laughs> um, I eat a lot of food. I think a lot of people would be surprised um, by how much I eat, but I would eat. My husband is six foot five and he's uh, about 100 kilos, and I probably eat the same amount as him. <laughs> so. <laughs> And if anyone's ever seen a photo of Maggie, she's not six foot five and a hundred kilos. I think I saw a shot of you eating ice cream for breakfast. So that's got to be a pretty good way of uh, getting the calories back. Yeah, yeah I do. I, I try and be fairly healthy, especially during the week. Um, Monday to Friday, I try and be pretty 
pretty healthy with what I eat. Uh, but then on the weekends, especially long runs, I, I don't mind, you know, ice, ice cream is my weakness. So a <laughs> bit of that and, yeah. There, there are worse weaknesses and you've earned it. So, you know, go for <laughs> it, go hard. <laughs> um, I, I want to talk a little bit about the Birdies Backyard Ultra um, because not too many people will know in New South Wales, I guess, where we're based, what it's all about. Can you, can you give us a little bit of a rundown of the event? Yeah, so Birdie's Backyard, it's the last man standing event, last one standing event, and it's 6.7 kilometre loop on the hour every hour. So you can, like, so Michael Hooker, who's incredible, um, he was running it in like 30 to 32 minutes, I think, each lap. So then he was getting roughly 30 minutes just to sit down and re- relax. Um I was running it in about 40 minutes. So I was getting about 20 minutes, but it's a very tactical, like it can be a very tactical race where are you better to have more rest time or are you better to just have little rest time and keep going? Because when you sit down and relax, you don't want to get back up again. That's, that's the trick to it, you know? So it's, it's a great race. It's a great format because it's not designed just for faster runners. Like with Michael, it was great that he had that time to rest. But and he's he's exceptional. He's mentally super strong. But for other people, having that time to rest, you know, it's harder to get back up. Mm. So it's it's not necessarily a race about speed. It's about mental toughness and how how much you can keep going. As we saw, like. Um, I don't know. There's a doco on Birdie's Backyard. If you get a chance to watch it, it's it's brilliant. And Phil Gore, he uh, he came second to Michael. And probably about halfway through, he looked a little bit tired. And I thought, oh, maybe he's, maybe he's you know, out. And he just kept going. Like, it, he was doing a bit of a walk run strategy as well. And he just kept going. Like, it was, it was incredible to watch, you know. So it's mental toughness. Yeah, and it's one of these things that has actually been dreamed up by Lazarus Lake, isn't it? That was his initial. Yeah, 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 it is. Yeah. Yeah, he's a. Uh, well, he was anyway. A strange and hard man. I, uh, <laughs> was uh, was your strategy to to walk at any stage, or were you trying to run each lap and then have as much time to to sit down as possible? Um. I went in with a, with thinking that I would run as much as possible. I find um, when I go to the walk run, you, you, I stiffen up a bit. I don't, I'm not enjoying it as much. So I, I plan to just uh, run as much as possible. And then when I need to walk, that's when I'll walk. I think I hit, don't think I walked until about lap, I think it was lap 25 or lap 26 was the first time I, had a walk break so and, and but that I think that's when I started to yeah walk, walking is so slow and I was like oh this is terrible and I'm going so slow and you know so and this is 150 yeah, in something like that yeah yeah well I think I think you've earned a little walk break at that that point in time and um, while you're, you're knocking through the k's there do you, do you have something specific going on in your head have you got a bit of a mantra like some runners seem to have 
I just think about everything. I think that's the key with ultra running is um, you have to take your mind off what you're actually doing and just think about everything. Like when I'm out, I'll just think about random things, you know, like work or life in general or friends or family. Like you just, you have to take your mind off what you're actually doing Mm -hmm. to get through it. Yeah. And and are you doing most of those Ks on your own training-wise? Uh, I would do, I'd say 90% of my training is, yeah, solo. I And I like to do that. I love group runs, but um, ultra running is most most of the time you're on your own. Mm. So I like to just, yeah, solo is good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, I guess it's hard to find people to fit around that schedule and that pace yeah. and that sort of jazz too. Are, are you one for a uh, for music or a you know, podcast? No, I haven't. Um, more for safety, okay. especially when, because, you know, running in the dark, usually um, summer's great when it's light, but usually I'm running in the dark both morning and night. So more for safety than anything. Mm, okay. Have you got any tips for people moving from, um, I mean, seemingly shorter distances, like a mere 50K event uh, up to the outrageous distances that you're knocking out at the moment? They, um, it's not as hard as it, as it looks or sounds. Um, and it's just about just stepping up slowly. Like I wouldn't jump from, you know, a 50 K to a hundred miler, you know, I, I would sort of build up. So I went to, you know, 50 K to uh, a 50 miler, which is 80 K and then to a hundred K and then I went to a hundred miler. So I think you've sort of just got to like build up because otherwise, Otherwise, you can create injuries and things like that. So, and and do the workload. Um, I think you have to give the sport a little bit of respect and make sure that you're, you know, you build yourself up and do that consistent training so you can get it done the best that you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone's a lot calmer on the uh, start line if they've got the preparation under their belt. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, what, what about... Uh, shoes i want to know how many how many you go through at 200 k's a week how often is the turnover of a pair of shoes well i'm very lucky i've uh, got a sponsor selming um and running works and they provide me with some shoes um otherwise it would probably cost a fortune <laughs> um the selming shoes are really good i get roughly around 1500 k's out of a pair of shoes so i probably could get a little bit more um but yeah i i go through quite a lot of shoes i have shoes in rotation so i usually have um two to three pairs so i've got selming speeds that i use for the speed sessions and selming greyhounds which i use for my long run because they're you know cushioned and um i've got a pair of on roots which i just throw in there as well but i find rotating the shoes is good um but yeah i go through quite a few pairs i'm sure i'm sure they uh they look at you from the cupboard with a little bit of fear <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I've, I've just been uh, following you on a uh, facebook page the road to the 2022 world 100 kilometer championships what's um what does the path look like for you now, Margie? What's what's coming up? Well, hopefully, we we had hoped I'd hoped to make the um, Australian team for Holland, which was meant to be last year, 
but unfortunately that got cancelled. So we're not 100% sure when the next championships will be or um, logistically for me, you know, if they were putting them on this year, uh, I wouldn't be able to go just with work, you know, quarantine restrictions and that. Like I, I wouldn't take that chance. Um, so it really depends when they're on and where they are and that sort of thing. Um, but ideally I would like to... I'd like to have another go at ADU next year and break the go go even faster. So I did an eight twenty eight, I think it was, or eight twenty seven this year. Um, but I'd like to go closer to that, you know, eight fifteen mark, um, and hopefully make the, the team again. Mm. And, and so that that was the A qualifier, though, right? The eight twenty seven. Yeah. Yeah, and does that yeah. carry over yeah. to next year then? Um, I think it's 24 months that they last for. I think you've got it for 24 months. So they they also look at um, the selection committee also looks at um, consistency through races as well. So, you know, not just a once off sort of, I mean, obviously they're going to look at you if you get a, a good time, but they obviously want to see consistency and hard work as well. So Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you certainly show that in 2020. There was a consistent year when... There was so much inconsistency out there, so very impressive. Um, what, what about the rest of uh, 2021? What does the calendar look like for you? Uh, well, I've got Hurdy's front yard coming up on the 26th of March. Um, it's going to be a cracker because there's a lot of a lot of contenders. Uh, Michael Hooker's in there, and Phil Gore's back in there, who were who did Birdie's backyard, and there's some unknowns as well, which uh, which will be good. Um, after that, I haven't really picked any other races at the moment, so we'll just sort of wait and see what the what the year brings, I guess. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent. Well, uh, yeah, having already qualified for you know the Australian team, you can you can pick and choose what you want. That's that's a great luxury. <laughs> Yeah. Now, if uh, if our listeners want to follow that that journey, or you know, just check out where where you're at with your training and your racing, how can they find you, Margie? Uh, well, that Facebook page, um, they can follow on there, or I'm, I'm on Strava as well. I put everything on Strava. Okay, no hiding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no hiding. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, yeah, I encourage everyone to get on and, and have a look at uh, yeah Margie's road to the, the World Championships. She's she's knocking out some incredible results. And, um, yeah, we're, we're really privileged to have you on the show and, and, and chat about your uh, journey to now. So thanks thanks for your time, Margie. No worries. Thanks for having me. No, no problem. We'll catch up soon maybe when we can uh, get over there. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Okay, see ya. Okay, we've just shot quickly over to uh, the beautiful sunny Shire and we're here with Steve Redfern. How are you, mate? Yeah, good evening. Uh, really good, thank you. Good, good, mate. How's uh, how's the body pulled up after a slightly lighter 2020 race-wise? Um, body's pulled up pretty good. I probably wouldn't say my 2020 was slightly lighter. I think <laughs> it ended up being probably a little bit more bigger than normal, um, yeah. even though we were in a bit of a, a lockdown, so... Yeah, pretty big year for me, but um, pulled up quite nicely over the Christmas New Year holidays, um, ready for um, 2021 and my next race. Very good, mate. We can uh, finally get you out of the garage and onto the track again. 
Oh, lovely. So go from one small track to a slightly bigger 400-metre track. <laughs> so for those who don't know uh, about the Garage Ultra, can you quickly just punch out the, the numbers just to, to fascinate the listeners? Okay, yeah. So over Easter last year during COVID lockdown, I ran four days around my garage um, and I was tasked to run 90Ks a day over a four-day period um, to do 360Ks around a 32-metre loop in my garage. So that, that ended up equating to um, approximately uh, 425,000 steps in the garage. Um, I did uh, 11,500 laps. Um, I did uh, 115 direction changes um, throughout that time. And it was about 12 hours of running each day. So over the four days, it ended up being about 48 hours worth of running to reach that milestone. That's a, uh, it's a statistician's nightmare and an OCD dream. <laughs> it's incredible. Mate, uh, it was very good. So, so have you avoided the garage since then and you still got a little bit of a twitch when you, when you see it? No, I've avoided the garage. Uh, luckily, we um, have a bit more freedom outside, so um, I have tended to um, expand it to the more open-air, slightly larger courses of um, our lovely trails and if I need to do a loop course, um, the 400-metre track's a little bit better. Yeah, good. And that, and that brings us on to what we're here for. So the Southern Sydney 24-Hour Ultra coming up in June 2021. Can you tell us a bit about this race you're getting off the ground, mate? I can, yeah. So after the Sydney 24-Hour back in 2019 was um, basically moved down to Canberra with Sri Chimnoy. Um, moving their home base for their 24-hour to the Canberra 48. Sydney didn't have a 24 anymore, so while in lockdown in COVID, I thought I'd start investigating and um, put together restarting the 24-hour under a new race um, in a new location. So, And that's where the name came up for the Southern Sydney 24-hour ultra, um, which will be now run at the Barden Ridge Athletics Track in Southern Shire. Um, and on the same weekend that it has always run in Sydney, being the first weekend of June. Okay. Oh, that's great. So 5th and 6th of June there. Um, did, did you have any difficulty getting a, a race up off the ground? I guess uh, th there was difficulties last year with a lot of cancellations. Was everything okay as far as council and approval and that sort of stuff? Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Uh, a lot more work than I realised once I started to really investigate into it um, between basically wanting to book the uh, track first and making sure I could lock in the weekend I wanted. Council were really good, um, basically liaising them back and forth with council, and they were more than happy to look forward um, 12 months to lock it in for this year. So uh, that was that was the, probably the biggest milestone, as long as I could get the track that I was really after and the time. Um, once that was done, it was a matter of uh, building on my risk management plan um, and then going ahead with my logos, starting up a race website, um, the Facebook page for the race, um, then heading towards having the race approved and listed through Aura, um, and then having Aura also apply to get the um, IAU bronze label so it can be a sanctioned race with all distances, which is really good. And with all of that approved, um, I was able to launch it um, around October to the public and um, start selling tickets then. So 
Fantastic. which is really good. And does that or approval mean that it can be used as a qualifier for world championships, for example? It can, yeah. So uh, for track races, it's really nice to have it as um, a sanctioned um, or approved race. And then that allows people to be able to come to your track knowing that it's a properly measured distance um, course and for their results and what they can achieve, um, they can then use that for um, applying for um, or listed races um, like the international races. And also too, if someone happens to break a record, be it national or an age record, that can also be recognised because it's now being sanctioned and also approved through Aura. Yeah. So, which was really good. And I think that's for a track race, that's something you really want to be able to put out to the public to um, let them have that option. Yeah, fantastic. And, and apart from being uh, exactly the right distance, I, I hear you guaranteeing a very fast track there at Barton Ridge. Yes, it's a, it's a very popular track. Um, so I'm hoping to, yeah, have some, hopefully some good distances um, come out of the 24 hour. Um, also, along with it, I've thrown in a 100K event, um, a 12-hour event, a six-hour event, three-hour, and there's also a on the Saturday night, there'll be a, uh, an evening uh, 42K marathon um, just to keep the atmosphere going for the 24-hour runners running overnight. So, so plenty of options for uh, all types of runners there, mate. Fantastic. Um, what, what sort of distances will the 24-hour guys be, be hitting, do you think? So I've got, I'm lucky enough to have um, about five uh, representative, Aussie representative uh, people running in the race, um, along with some new 24-hour runners, um, some runners coming back for multiple times. So I could get anything from, nicely with a 24-hour or a timed race is, it doesn't really matter what distance you get. So everybody basically finishes the race um, on whatever distance that they can happily achieve. But we could be looking anywhere from, say, the 100Ks down on the lower end all the way up through to 240 and possibly uh, even greater if someone's having a really good race. So mm. it's going to be uh, really good to be able to be trackside and watch some of these great runners running with also a lot of new um, people trying out the track for the very first time, which yeah. is um, great to have that support together um, running around. Fantastic. So, so worth coming down and seeing some pretty high-quality athletes there by the sound of things, Steve. Um, oh, definitely. Does this mean that uh, you won't be having the opportunity to run? You'll be in race director mode? That's correct. So I've been asked this a few times. Um, will I use this to uh, run in my own event? And uh, my answer is uh, a flat no. Um, I believe that it'd be a lot more valuable for me to have all my time race directing and just showing that I'm there to support putting on a really good race and not wanting to put it on just so I've got a, a platform for myself to run in. So yeah. I'd rather just sit back and give someone and give everybody a world-class um, event um, and then just to watch them all run their races and just see them all reach their goals. So yeah. that's that's where I'll get my enjoyment from. Fantastic, mate. I'm sure you will enjoy it too. And there's been some good uh, support from local business, uh, friend of the show and support of the podcast, Ronaldo, look to be involved. Oh, definitely. So I've been really lucky with some great sponsors coming in as event partners for me. Um, so Ronaldo um, have come on board as um, one of my local, well, my local um, event partner, which is fantastic. 
and that just shows beautiful support uh, for here in the Shire. And also um, supporting with them will be, um, I have uh, Hocker Shoes. Um, I also have Tailwind, who I'm very uh, closely affiliated with. So they will supply all the nutrition as well for the race. And also T8 Gear over in Hong Kong, who were very supportive of me while I was running the Hong Kong Four Trails last year, have also decided to come on board and help support the race as well. So four really fantastic, great uh, partners to have. And, um, yeah, I'm really proud to have them on board. Uh, mate, T8 have been friends of the show as well. Fantastic people. Um, and, and so I, I believe if you are an Aura member, there's a discount for, for entry as well. That's correct. So if you're an Aura member, um, so great to sign up, uh, become a member. Um, it's a great association to be with. And part of that is it allows you to then enter races that are Aura listed, um, like the Southern Sydney 24 hour, and you'll get a 10% discount on any of the events that you want to enter just by putting your Aura number in on the registration page. Hmm. And it's worth jumping on the, the Aura page just to have a look at how many races that they are involved with and how many, I guess, gear and race discounts you might pick up by becoming a member. Definitely worth your time. Uh, Most and, definitely. And how many spots do we have left to fill now? You're pretty well, um, pretty well chock-a-block in the 24-hour distance by the sound of things. So very, very happy to announce that the 24-hour is um, completely full um, and there is a wait list for the 24-hour. Um, but if anyone else wants to go on the wait list, they're more than welcome to message me. Um, the email address is on the register page. Um, and the 100K, which is only a small field, uh, that was sold out. But there is still four spots left in the 12-hour. Um, and plenty of spots left in the six, um, approximately about um, 12 spots left in the six hour. And you're looking at about 30 spots left in both the three hour event and the 42K night marathon. Oh, very good. Very good. So plenty of, yeah, plenty of opportunity to get on the track yourself rather than being a, a spectator. Um, so yeah, get on down runners and have a look. Uh, where, where can listeners find you? What's the, what's the easiest way to have a look? Uh, so I've got two, page, two pages for the, uh, the race. So there is its own website, um, just straight up Southern Sydney 24-hour ultra, all one word, .com.au. Or um, you could go on Facebook and if you punch in Southern Sydney 24-hour ultra, you'll come up with the race page on Facebook, which I put all the latest information and um, most of the stuff you can find new on there. And that gives you a link to the website and also to the registry page as well. Fantastic, mate. Fantastic. So if anyone's uh, listening looking for a challenge around the track, jump on and have a, have a look at Steve's race. Um, certainly going to be a cracker by the sound of things. Mate, what, what's, uh, what's next for your racing year, mate? What's, what's on the agenda? Uh, so for me, um, can't get away from the track. So um, I've entered, uh, so coming up in three weeks' time, I'm doing the Canberra 48-hour uh, track ultra. So that'll be my first uh, taste into doing a 48-hour event um, over a 24. And then that's my lead-in later on the year I've entered for October is the Adelaide six-day race. So I'll give that a go for the first time as well. Yeah. Oh, mate, you just keep finding new ways to amaze me. That's uh, <laughs> six days. Holy dooly. All right, mate. Well, 
It's been great chatting to you. You better get out and do some training by the sound of things. Um, Most definitely. Thanks for letting us know about this new race uh, and, and hopefully people can jump on it and support it. It's going to be good fun. Um, I'll, I'll see you out there on the trails pretty soon, Steve. Most definitely. Thank you for having me um, on Running Matters and um, for also um, just promoting and advertising the race. That's fantastic. Thank you. No worries at all, mate. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Steve. See you, mate. Thanks, Eddie. Okay, and welcome to part two of our Aura special. We've uh, we've got Aura Ultra Male Runner of the Year, Michael Hooker. Welcome, mate. How are you? I'm good, thanks, mate. Very good. Glad to be here. Uh, mate, congratulations on a sensational 2020. Um, how, how have you pulled up? You look like you're in pretty good shape still. Yeah, I, I, I don't really feel like I've pulled up. I, I was glad to get to the end of the year. Um, I think my run at Yabaroo is my last race for the year. Um, I think mentally, after having such a big year, um, I'd sort of fatigued quite a bit mentally. But, um, yeah, other than that, I've pulled up really well. haven't really had any injury niggles or anything like that. Um, uh, so, yeah, it was a fairly uh, – it's probably my biggest year yet, um, 2020. Um, so, yeah, I've pulled up okay and, um, yeah, doing well. Started with all the well this year so far, so. Yeah, you certainly look to it, and we'll get we'll get back to 2021 pretty quickly. But um, I'll, I'll first just run through the the list of achievements to bring you to that that Aura Ultra Runner of the Year. Um, so we were first in all these races, so I don't even need to say that again. But uh, a straight A Ultra 100K in a time of 7:27, the Lark Hill Dust to Dawn 100K in a time of 7:54, the Birdies Backyard Ultra. So, again, Margie Hadley had, had a crack at this, and I think she ran about 200Ks by memory. Uh, Michael's run 268.4 kilometres in 40 hours, which is just insane. Uh, we'll chat about that soon. Uh, the Feral Pig Ultra 100 Mile in 18.28, and as you suggested, the Yabaroo Trail Ultra 50K in 3.47. So, mate, uh, some serious racing there and some serious distances. Um, so yeah, once again, congratulations. But we'll, we'll take you back to pre-2005. I can't find any records prior to that, mate. What were you doing with yourself? Uh, parenting. <laughs> Earning a living and uh, parenting, I guess. Um, yeah, back 2005, I, um, I really was just doing life, um, you know, single-income family and uh, four kids and... Um, you don't do much else really when you've uh, got those responsibilities. So for me, it was just about looking after the family and, uh, yeah, trying to raise good kids. So, um, yeah, four kids, um, all sort of within, what, six or eight years, eight, eight years of age. So, um, yeah, I was basically, um, well, when I was 25, I was basically married and four kids. So, um, and um, the youngest was eight at the time. So, um, yeah, sort of parenting duties and family duties and everything else sort of takes preference over, you know, hobbies and interests and running and all that sort of stuff. So, it yeah. doesn't leave a lot of time for uh, for training. I think four kids is its own ultra marathon by definition. So, we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll again. And, and then yeah, uh, where did the fire come from for your, your first fun run in 05? Uh, well, to be honest, though, I just, I've had a couple of runs where I've just had friends hit me up um, 
at, at the time. It was a week out from that event and um, uh, a friend, a guy I know from church who's about 20 years my senior who'd been running and stuff and he'd come up to me and he, he knew I was fairly sporty and active and um, I hadn't been doing really any running at the time but I'd been going to the gym, you know, sort of do things just to stay relatively fit, basically fit enough to kick the footy around with my kids and all that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, he just asked me one day and said, what are you doing next week, basically? He said, come run this fun run with me. And I was like, oh, okay. And um, we went out that day on a Sunday after church and um, and uh, ran the course. And, um, yeah, and then obviously the weekend after um, we, we did the run. And, um, yeah, it was a good run time-wise, but, uh, you know, when you push yourself so hard like I do fairly competitively, um you know, weird things can happen. So, yeah, it's always a story that goes with that. Yeah, so your first run, 10Ks, under four-minute Ks. So, obviously, <laughs> no slouch to begin with. That's amazing in itself. But uh, you ended up, yeah, taking the ambulance home, mate. What happened? Yeah, well, uh, to be honest, I don't remember a lot of the end of the run. Um, I remember seeing the finishing shoot, and um, that was all I remember at the end of the run. Um, I knew I was pretty buggered from the run because I'd obviously pushed myself quite hard and not training and really doing any running leading into it. Um, I was pretty pretty buggered. So the week before, um, I did the run with a friend and I ran it in 43-something, 43 minutes-something and sort of thought to my friend and said to him, if I could get under 40 minutes on the day on the race, it'd be really cool, you know. Anyway, um, yeah, on the run, went out, went hard and uh, finished hard and uh, basically don't remember crossing the finish line. I remember seeing it um, but don't remember crossing it and I was told later um, when I woke up basically looking at the roof of an ambulance um, that I literally was staggering, like swaying all over the um, track heading into the finish shoot and they reckon that um, – the very second that I crossed the finish line, that I, my body just collapsed. I just fell yeah. in a heap. Um, so literally just pushed myself to exhaustion. And, um, yeah, so um, in, the, in the ambulance and obviously came to after a little while and um, they were looking after me fairly well there and then they took me off the um, hospital, to Rockingham Hospital from there, um, and it started raining and... Um, we were driving along, you know, casually as it was, and I was hooked up to, you know, the ECG and everything, you could hear my heart beating and all sorts, and I was okay, but obviously just fully fatigued and everything. And um, I basically was going along, and then it started raining, and then I just remember hearing the flat line of my heartbeat, and um, I remember hearing the ambulance guy next to me go, we need to go, let's go, and he's talking to his driver, obviously. So they flipped lights and sirens on and rushed me to the hospital. And um, I was conscious the whole time. And all I remember thinking at the time was it's raining outside, shit, we're going to crash. And um, I don't know why that was my thoughts, but it was. And um, they told me later my heart stopped for about seven, seven or eight seconds and then all of a sudden started beeping again and, was, and I'd come good. But um, initially, obviously, they thought it was my heart that was the issue. Um, so I got transferred from Rockingham to Fremantle and spent basically six days in Fremantle Hospital in the cardiology department um, running tests, trying to figure out what happened. Um, and they couldn't figure out basically anything with my heart. They basically just put it down to sheer exhaustion. So I just, I guess mentally, I pushed myself so hard physically 
that I just, yeah, my body just went, I can't do this. And the second I crossed the finish line, it went, no, nah, I'm done. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing that the, uh, the the brain can push that you know relatively untrained body to do such an incredible thing. And I guess that plays into some of your more recent achievements, just the, the mind over matter component there. Do you mm. think? Do you think you know you're particularly strong in that that aspect of running? Yeah, I, I do, and and not to uh, blow smoke up my trumpet, but yeah, I do. Mentally, I'm very very strong, um, very determined. Um, when I when I set myself a goal or a task or something like that, I like a lot um, a little bit OCD, I guess, in a way where I like to do it. I like to do it well, um, and I like to tick all my boxes and you know um, achieve what I'm set out to achieve. Um, and I don't allow myself, um, I don't allow my body to dictate basically what I want to do. So I, it, it is a mental strength to be able to push yourself uh, further and longer and harder. Um, when your body's saying, no, I want to stop, no, I want to stop. Um, and I think a lot of that um, comes from just life experience um, and not to say mine was any worse or harder than anyone else's, but, um, you know, about eight years ago, um, my, marriage, my first marriage did break down um, and it was quite messy um, and, um, you know, obviously trying to sort out details of that and it wasn't by my choice um, that, that that happened. It was, it was sort of taken out of my hands, so the decision to, to go down that way. But, um, you know, you go through things in life and, you know, sorting out a, a, a messy marriage breakup, a family breakup with four kids and time and kids and, you know, everything that goes with that um, can, be, can take a toll on you mentally. And uh, especially, I think, uh, from my experience, um, not seeing it coming. Um, and um, when all of a sudden it's for me it was like um, you know I was just standing there in life someone clocked me over the back of the head from behind and I've woken up in hospital and someone's then telling me this is what your life is like now and for me it was like no it's not like that's not where I was just the other day and it's not how it's supposed to be and you know you go through a lot of uh, personal uh, struggles and um, for me I think a lot of that is is part of my journey is that uh, through you know the, the um, struggles and, and things that you go through in life you know you build that resilience you build that um, determination to want to make things better um, and and for me um, the other thing is is you know I like to better myself so um, being better today than I was yesterday or last week or, you know, in the past is something, you know, I sort of do try and pride myself on is, you know, trying to be the best version of myself every day and better than yesterday. So for me that comes in running as well, you know, like um, you're not always going to have a great training session, you're always going to have a great race every time. Um, but if you can just constantly be consistent and continually improve on yourself and, uh, try and achieve your own personal goals. Um, I think that's a, it's a big um, a win if you can get get into that sort of men mental mindset. Um, as a, as a kid, I always grew up wanting to win everything. Um, you know, I did athletics, I did school cross country, I did all those things, and I always wanted to win. Everything was about winning, winning, winning. And you know, you soon learn that you're not always going to win. You can't. Um, there's always going to be someone on some day that's going to be better than you or faster than you or, you know, you might be not on your game or something. So 
for me, as I've gotten older, you know, you get a bit smarter. And for me, it's more about achieving your personal goals. And um, I do that with all my running now. Uh, and as I've gotten better at running, I think it's been valuable because it's not so much about competing against others. It's more about competing against yourself and what you set for yourself. Um, I mean, obviously, look, everyone likes to win events. Everyone likes to win and achieve things. But um, um, I think for, for runners in general, if you can set yourself a goal and achieve your goal, um, no matter where you're placed in the field, then you're a winner anyway. So, um, you know, I admire people that um, come in further behind in the pack in events than I do. Um, and I admire people that come in front of me in events than I do because, you know, we're all winners. We all can win and achieve things um, and, and we win. Is it? Yeah, sure, it's nice to get the accolades and, and um, you know, say you came first or second or whatever it might be. But to say that, you've, you know, you beat your personal goal or you set out to achieve something and you beat it or whatever it might be, you know, that's just as much of an achievement. Yeah, I agree. And I think, uh, obviously, the majority of our listeners are probably somewhere, you know, towards that mid-pack of the field. And I guess that's one of the beauties of our sport of running is there's always something to improve upon or another achievement. It may not be the podium, but, yeah, there's, there's always sort of a, a numbers or a course-driven reason to be out there sort of bettering yourself. So I think that's a really good lesson for everyone. Um, so, I mean, following that sort of marriage breakdown it looks as though you did start to take the running more seriously um in 2015 you started running you know some serious ultra marathon stuff was that a um a conscious decision to you know to take things more seriously i guess uh no i think i think after that first uh 2005 um event that I did and, and what happened with that sort of pushed me to the idea of well you know i like running i enjoy it um, if I am going to do events and just even if they're just fun runs, whatever, uh, if I'm going to do events, I really should uh, look after myself really and, and do the right thing by myself and train. And um, I was a very lazy trainer um, for a long time. Um, and, and it was more, I don't know if it's stupidity or what, but or just I just used to think, oh, I'll just turn up and run. And, and because I could sort of um, very easy, I'll say easily, but um, very consistently turn up and run at sort of four-minute pace, which is a fairly, you know, swift pace, um, regardless of your training or not. Um, mm. You know, and I could do that sort of fairly easily um, without training. I was like, well, if I could do it without training, imagine what I could do with training. And um, So, yeah, after after that, that sort of pushed me to run, you know, I mean, I, I, was, I was serious, I, I mean, after 2005, um, I think it was 2008 or something, I was training to do the 12K City to Surf. And I, I was training probably three times a week, four times a week maybe for that. Um, and that still went wrong for me, you know. So, um, but um, I think just, yeah, the continuous uh, consistency of training uh, really kicked in a bit later on. Mm -hmm. um, and that came, I think, with the desire to continue to do more events and more events. So it was more about looking after myself so I didn't continue to repeat the past and have bad experiences and then not want to run. Um, I mean, obviously, I, I was fairly gifted with the, with the talent to be able to run. And if I could just develop that and train it a bit better, then, you know, it was something that I was going to be able to um, keep doing well. 
Yeah. So um, in two, I think it was two thousand uh, when, when I did um, Lark Hill Ultra, mm-hmm. the fifty k. That was another event. I just I had my friend Tim Hamilton. He phoned me up, and I've known Tim for many many years now. And he phoned me up one day, and he goes, um, "Come and run an ultra marathon with me." And I, and I was that naive at the time with running at the time events and stuff. And I went, well, how far is that? You know, I had no idea how, how far an ultra marathon was. I, I hadn't even run a marathon. Um, I think I'd run uh, Sydney to Surf half marathon before that, but I'd never yeah. run a marathon. And um, he said, oh, it's 50Ks. And I said, oh, I said, Tim, I haven't even run a marathon yet. And um, he said, well, come on, you can do it. He goes, run at my pace because he runs a bit slower than I do at the time. And um I was like, yeah, all right, so no worries. So, you know, as you do, that Monday when he phoned me up, we went out and did a run together and ended up running, I think, 36Ks that night just, you know, because you do. And, you know, it wasn't super fast, but it wasn't super slow either. It was just, to, you know, to have a look at, at the course and um, just to catch up with Tim and that. But, um, yeah, and then, you know, a few weeks later, we um, I think it was only, only 10 days later or less than two weeks later or something, we did the 50Ks and, um so yeah i think that that there was what really lit the fire was that run i think because um i ran the first 30 kilometers of that with tim and he hurt himself and he was going to then run walk um and i just said to him look i think if i stop running i think i think if i just walk run i'll, I'll stop i won't want to keep going mm-hmm. and um so i said sorry tim but i'm going to keep going and run the rest myself and um so I end up finishing the next 20Ks at probably about a 4.30 average. Wow. Um, so I think we did I didn't think we did the first sort of 30Ks at about a 5.30 average or 5.30 close to six-minute average, just something casual for Tim. Um, and then, yeah, when I left Tim, I did the last 20 at like 4.30s. And, I, again, it was a goal. I, I, when I left him, I'd set myself a goal to um, uh, not let uh, – Hunter Dodds, uh, who lapped us a couple of times, lapped us once again. So I was going to try and catch up a lap back on him, yeah. um, which I ended up achieving, which was <laughs> quite something. But um, so that was my goal to push for four, sort of four thirties to to come home with that. So yeah, knowing I, I did that fairly comfortably in just over five hours was like, well, you know, I can run fifty k's in you know five hours fairly comfortably. So you know, that, I think that sort of that there lit a fire in me. Um, yeah. to want to then go and do more events and then go and do a marathon, which was something I always sort of thought was a good idea, um, but never got around to it. Um, and then, yeah, of course, um, did City of the Surf um, marathon um, after I did Life Hills. So, yeah. Yeah. And so you knocked out uh, your, your marathon debut in just over three hours, 303. Um, yeah. I mean, you're still pretty unstructured with your training at this point. Is it just something you've got some natural talent there? Yeah, I, I, I did. I I did train for that one. And knowing um, that I had trouble in, in the past and, and stuff, I did probably train, I would say, four times a week at least, do, do four runs at least a week around that time. Um, and up to my training uh, quite a bit, um, I... Um, yeah, I, I definitely got more structured in my training. Um, I think I think I think I even followed some sort of plan um, back in the day. It might have even been just one that they do in the paper or something leading into the city. So if it was something similar anyway. Yeah. But um, yeah, I had a goal. My goal was um, 
to try and do sub three, three and a half hours. Um, yeah, so that was sort of my goal because um, I knew I was running a fairly good pace and everything and with my training, so I'd sort of set myself a fairly high bar. Um, and, yeah, as it was, I, I stuck with, um, I think it was Ray Lampard was the three-hour pacer at the time and I sort of took off and felt really good and uh, stuck with him for the three-hour pacer for most of it. Um, but, yeah, obviously not used to running that distance and not running that distance without, um, I guess, hydration and, and, like, you know, stopping at aid stations and drinking and stuff like that. So, like, oh, I struggled. I went from aid station to aid station sort of towards the end of the race or second half of it and I was, you know, running, stopping or walking through the um, – drink stations, drinking, having some to drink, and, and the pack that I was staying with would take off and keep going. They'd run straight through. So between aid stations, I was sort of playing catch-up or trying to by drinking and having something and then trying to catch back up to them by the next one. And by the time I got to the next aid station, they just obviously kept going. Mm. And um, I was then walking, slowing down and, and kept going. So I did that and I ended up losing uh, those guys at about 35Ks, 38Ks, something like that. And just sort of thought, well, look, I'm ahead of schedule. Um, I'll just, I'll just do what, do my thing for the last, you know, uh, five or so k's, and just, and just finish strong, and and that's what I ended up doing. So yeah, I was, I was pretty chuffed to, to get mm. just over three hours. So yeah, right. so it's a solid debut, that's for sure. And now, mate, there's, there's a few, a uh, few races in between, but we'll flash, flash forward to 2017. <laughs> it was a bit of a checkered year for you. Uh, had, had, had a lot of trouble with uh, sciatica and lower back stuff. What, what, what was the story there? Yeah, I, I don't know really what caused it. I still don't know. I think just a very active lifestyle with, um, you know, lots of playing, lots of sport, running and stuff as a kid, um, gymming and, and crossfitting and all that sort of stuff as well, and then back running again, um, as well as, you know, silly things when you're younger and stupid and jumping off house roofs and things like that when you're young and dumb. But, um, yeah, just the back, obviously, something happened with my back and I had a prolapse disc in my L5-S1, um, which started causing me a lot of drama. Um, basically, I was okay while I was running, no pain at all while I was running, but it was when I wasn't running that I started having the pain and the issues. Um, and, um, yeah, battled with that for quite a while. Um mm. And um, I'd signed up for the Feral Pig Ultra for 2017 and that was my really big goal for that year, um, having not done it before and not really run a lot of the course before either. Um, it was just something I, I, I set myself out to achieve. Um, I, I'd run Light Horse Ultra 12 hours um, prior to that and... Um, I think I covered 117 and a half Ks for that, and that was my first 12-hour run, so was, that was pretty stoked as well. Um, but, yes, heading out for the 100-miler uh, was a big thing, and I love the trails. I love getting out on the trails and into nature, and that's the thing. It's just that's where I love to be. Um, but, um, yeah, really stinking hot year. Um, physically, apart from my sciatica, I was um, – very well prepared, um, not as well as I was uh, last year, but um, uh, yeah, still very well prepared for it. Um, found myself um, towards the front of the pack, um, probably about 100 k's into it uh, when we got to Berriking, um, the aid stop at Berriking hut, and um, 
yeah, kicked on from there. And um, I'd gotten lost a couple of times not knowing the track very well during the night earlier in the race. And then uh, I think all up for the last time I got lost and ended up um, pulling out was, I think it was about the fifth time I got lost um, or just got off track. And, um, yeah, just mentally, my goal for that race was uh, sub 24 hours. Um and obviously trying to get the belt buckle, which I think is was sub-24 at the time, but I think it's sub-26 hours now. But um, uh, it was, yeah, just simply to finish um, and get get that sub-24 hours if I could. And, um, yeah, come, come to it, it was about 11.30 at night and we, uh, we got all the way uh, out to uh, – back up to Mundere and then out to Kalamunda um, halfway back to Camel Farm. So we literally had like nine, 10 kilometres to go. And I was in the lead. I was actually winning the event at the time, which, you know, was a, just a bonus. It was a surprise that I was even at the front. And uh, a friend of mine, Nick O'Neill, uh, was behind me and he wasn't far behind me, but um, uh, he went on to win the event. But um, I ended up getting about uh, K and a half out of Camel Farm and we went off onto the Mundavidian just got lost um, again, just could not find our way back um, for the love of us uh, to get back onto the um, track. And um, mentally that's when I just started to shut down. Um, I'd never run that far before, um, never run that long before. And um, I think just the fatigue of the event, uh, which is quite a brutal event really, um, just really took its toll on me at that time. I think if, if we were on track and I wasn't lost, I would have finished. Um, I don't doubt that at all. Um, but just the, I think the sheer mental side of things took over and um, we sort of ran around, walked around, trying to find our way back on track for about 20 minutes. And it was about, I don't know, it was not long before 12 o'clock. I think it must have been about quarter to uh, 12 or something like that, that we um, that I just ended up saying to my pace of cat wide, I just said, look, I'm done. I, I, I can't be bothered now. I'm done. We're lost. I just don't want to do it anymore. And, um, of course, she, she was devastated because, you know, she was pacing me and and um, wanted to see me get home. And I end, up, I end up just saying, look, I'm okay. I'm happy with what I've done. Um, I've achieved something, you know, that's better than, you know, anything I've ever done before and I'm okay about it, you know. Um, but, yeah, obviously disappointing. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then my back... Uh, played up a fair bit after that, obviously, because it was a fairly hard run. Um, and I uh, had a cortisone injection, my second one, after that, but it did nothing. Um, and then booked in for surgery a couple of weeks later. So um, had six, about five and a half months off running um, just to allow my body real, a lot of time to heal from that and give it the best chance of recovery. Um, and then, yeah, my goal from there, obviously, was to get back running if I could, which obviously then I did. Um, and um, from there, the fire was the redemption run. It was the nothing else. It was just get back and get the redemption on Feral and, and conquer what conquered me. And, um, yeah, eventually, obviously, I didn't get to do it in 2018 because I was still recovering. Uh, 2019 that got cancelled because of extreme weather and bushfire um, 
uh, risk of bushfires and that. So that was very disappointing for me because it was, I was trained up so well ready for that. I'd covered the course. I'd done recce runs of the whole course and everything. I was so ready to go for it. And then it got uh, cancelled. And um, so I ended up tail sweeping the 50Ks on the Sunday, which was a long, long day. But it was um, uh, gave me a, a very much the appreciation of, of others that are out there longer than I am normally. Um, which is which is a valuable thing in itself um and then yeah obviously uh 2020 was the year so yeah yeah and uh and and certainly the the, the redemption is pretty sweet there 18 hours 28 minutes certainly come well and truly under that 24 hour mark it's an impressive performance mate yeah i i, I had a, a spreadsheet uh, made out for it um with, with my times and my goals i sort of had a a for a b and c plan and um Right next to all that in, in my own writing, I wrote down obviously the course record and obviously Shane Johnson held the course record at the time and um, he obviously knows that track very well, having the record for the covering the whole Bibbman track in 11 days or whatever the record is that he holds. But, um, um, yeah, the, the record was sort of there and that was a dream in a way. Um, I, I knew I was running well. I knew I was um, probably had the ability to try and do sort of well, the record was 20 hours 45 or something, I think it was. And I knew I had probably the ability to get close to it. Um, I didn't expect to, to beat it by what I did. Um, I just I just had a blind of a run and um, everything just sort of went really well on the day. So, yeah. Mm, mate, fantastic. Fantastic. Um, and, and so how, how long did it take you, I guess, post-surgery to get back to, to pre-surgery running form and strength? Yeah, well, look, I, 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 my surgeon said to me three months. He said after three months you should be back at running. And um, but it, with that other uh, restrictions and things that he, he gave me um, of um, you know twisting and turning and lifting weight and stuff like that. Like uh, after three months, basically I, I wasn't well within the first three months. I was not supposed to do much twisting, turning, lifting of anything, um, and very slow, gradual build up. Um, and when it got to three months, it was like no more than five kilos still mm. for lifting. And, um, and I swing a um, seven-pound hammer for a living, you know, at Alcoa. Um, so, you know, swinging a bit of weight like that, um, although it's not huge heavy weight, it's swinging and a lot of mm. uh, twist and, and pressure on the body. So I, um, I actually said to myself, look, if I can't do all that, you know, but uh, – after for three months that was, and then it was limited for the next three months. So basically six months of very limited um, physical um, ability. I, I've said to myself, look, I'm not going to run for six months. I'm just going to completely give my body um, as much time as it needs um, just to recover. Because for me, um, at that stage, it wasn't about getting back to running. It was just about getting back to life, everyday things without pain, without suffering. And, um I was in that much pain leading into my surgery. Like the morning of my surgery, I was driving or getting driven up to the hospital and I was squirming and crying in my seat all the way up to the hospital because I was in that much pain. Mm. Um, so for me, it was more about recovery to a good standard of living where, you know, I could get up in the morning and be pain-free. I could get up in the morning and bend down and put my shoes and socks on by myself without being in pain, without... Mm having someone else to help me do it, um, you know, just everyday things. And, and from that, if I could get from that to 
you know, then being able to run around the footy with my boy, you know, just normal everyday things. I, I was going to be happy um, if, if, if everything went really well um, as it has, then, um, you know, I got back to running and, and that sort of thing. So after, after I think it was five and a half months, um, my wife uh, and I signed up. It was more for me to help her, encourage her, but we signed up to do the um, – I'd done a lot of walking and stuff, so um, walking and bike riding, things like that, to help my recovery. Um, so we signed up to do the 12-kilometre Secret Rocky Runners um, Salt Lake City run, and that was more me supporting my wife, who runs obviously a lot slower than I do. Um, so it was really a run walk. Um, so that was going to be a fairly good test to see how I was going at the time and um, and to support my wife in that. So that was my first sort of run, which was um, I think it was about seven months after my surgery. Um, so I'd done a lot of walking every day um, and that sort of thing to lead into that. Um, and, um, yeah, basically 12 months to the day of my surgery, I ran six-inch um, pacing another friend, um, uh, to, she wanted to run six inch in five hours. So I'd done a lot of running with her between the six month mark and uh, six inch, so 12, the 12 month mark after my surgery. Um, I did a lot of running with her. Um, just uh, again, it was probably five thirty six minute pace, um, which obviously was slower for me, my normal thing, but it was a comfortable pace. It was something I, you know, my body had time to recover and, 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 um, cope with I guess with the new workload I was starting to put back on it um, I did have a bit of pain and a bit of uh, what I call ghost pains which I still had a bit of sciatica pain and stuff um, throughout that time but it sort of came good um, with more stretching and just looking up in my body and monitoring it um, so yeah so four months to the day which I wasn't sure, um, aware of at the time until after the actual event um, I was back running ultras so yeah very impressive, mate, and, and certainly did some incredible stuff later in that year, 2019. I, I, I want to chat a little bit about uh, this 24 park runs in 24 hours. Where, where's the genesis for this, mate? Is this like your little scheme or is someone put you up to it? What's happened here? Uh, this is Sean Kaysler's uh, little thing. He, he, he made this up. It was, um, it was the support uh, um, organisation put on my feet which uh, helps people uh, who are struggling with things in life and um, encourages them to get back on their feet, basically, with, things, with the lives of running. Um, you know, people that have had, uh, you know, just bad experiences in life, they may have chosen the wrong, do the wrong things and had, um, you know, whether it's alcohol, drugs, or might, might even be just simply, you know, a marriage breakdown or, or whatever it might be, whatever life experience it is. Um, and they've just gone through that tough time and it's just been, it was in, to encourage them um, to, you know, take up something healthy for them, something that, that can help them. And um, so, yeah, he first did, um, I can't remember what year it was, was it 2018 uh, he did that the first time? Yeah, uh, I, think, I think 16 in 24 hours in 2017. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so we did the, we did the 16 as a group. Uh, Sean hired a bus and there was a bunch of us that jumped on a bus and, we just travelled around on the bus and went from one park run to another through, within 24 hours and did the 16. Um, that was that was a good experience, really fun time with a bunch of people. It was a really good time. And then the year after, I was recovering from my surgery, so I didn't do the next year. Um, 
but that was a 24 hour that was 24 park runs in 24 hours uh, I think that was Phil Gore and Sean ended up doing that together um, in the end with some others that joined in as well um, and um, then yeah the year after was obviously that was appealing to me I like the idea of that and uh, then the year after I was in the better condition for it so it was yeah 24 park runs in uh, 24 hours and the goal was to try and do them all in under 24 minutes yeah. and um, yeah I, I ended up being the only one that managed to survive the 24 and do them all in the t- under 24 minutes so it was good. Oh, it's very impressive with a bit of traveling in between times as well and you, you seem to be able to handle this uh, <laughs> run stop run stop sort of stuff quite well like a lot of, a lot of the races you put together are that kind of format um h- how do you think your body copes better with that sort of stuff than other people uh i don't know I, I, it's something i'm still figuring out but um yeah it just seems to i seem to be able to do it. i think part of it's the mental thing as well it's that um uh being able to push yourself to just get up and drive and, and get going again um and it, I mean, it's hard. It is, it's hard for me. I find it hard. And, you know, everyone I talk to that's done these events to do these backyards and things like that, you know, it is hard to keep going. And mm. a lot of the time, I think the stopping and starting is what stops people in the end. Um, but um, yeah, so I know it's something just, it's a drive. For me, it's just a driver. And again, I said, I, I don't allow, I try not to allow my, uh, my physical body to determine what my mental body wants to do. So, um, if I'm determined to do it, then, you know, I'm determined to do it. Like, um, for an, I'll give an example. Uh, when we did the 24 park runs the last uh, time, um, and I was the last one right, still uh, running, I think Phil got to 20 hours. I think he lasted to 20 and then he got ill. Um, he just, he wasn't well. He was quite sick. Um, and Sean had stopped a little bit before that. But um, so I basically ran the last four or five, I think it was, solo but on my own there was a few people that turned up at different park runs that sort of ran with us and paced with us and um we got to the last two on, on the last event was Burswood, um and then the last one to finish was claysbrook um and i was pretty tired by then i was lucky enough to have um a friend of mine rachel she drove for me during the night which was amazing because leading into the event i hadn't had anyone um help me um, well, not help me, but I, I couldn't get anyone to volunteer to help me at the time. I probably didn't reach out enough to enough people um, to ask someone to help me, but I just figured if I could have someone drive for me during the night, um, that would just allow me to just close my eyes for 10 minutes in between events, in between park runs or whatever while driving um, and just allow myself mentally to refresh. And, um, yeah, I ended up... Um, Rachel put her hand up for me and, and, and met me. I think it was about 10 o'clock at night. So we'd been running a few park runs already before that. And um, she came and she ended up driving me for the rest of the night, which was amazing. Um, and just allowed me to focus on the running and everything. Um, uh, yeah, come to Burswood, I was pretty tough at life. I was, I was doing well. I mean, I, was aver- I think I averaged about 22 minutes for each park run. Uh, if you go through and do the averages, roughly 22 minutes. And um, the last one, the Burswood one, was about that. And when I first got to Burswood, um, I remember Wayne, Wayne and Amanda asked me, um, oh, you're all right? Like, do you want a coffee? And I don't normally drink coffee. I, I, 
I drink it after a night shift before I come home, drive home, just to keep me awake, basically, so I can get home safe. And um, I do like it, like a nice iced coffee or a, a iced coffee granita grande from Muzz Buzz or something like that because I like coffee, but I don't drink it every day. Um, and um, I was like, no, 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 I'll be right. You know, I won't have a coffee. And, and I, um, I ended up doing that run and I was really tired, like I really felt sleepy. And uh, I finished the run and I, I went up to Amanda afterwards and I said, can you make me that coffee? So she, she made me the coffee and I had that. And then, of course, we had to go drive around to Claysbrook and do the Claysbrook one. And I'd sort of set myself a goal for uh, that event was to run all the park runs in under 24 hours, but run the last one in a sub-20. And any other day of the week, sub-20 for 5K isn't that hard for me. But obviously covering 24 or 23 park runs and not sleeping, um, you know, sort of throws a, a different dynamic to it. So I was got to Claysbrook and then a few people were there and there was someone, um, Sean had organised, um, I think it was Jackie, um, to pace me for the last one. And I thought, oh, this is fantastic. And, of course, Wayne was jumping in on pacing me as well. So I had a few paces helping me out on the last one. Um, and I was like, this is it, last one, like just determination, just get this thing done. And I was struggling. I really was struggling. The coffee did help me. Um, wake up a little bit but um, I physically was tired and and just fatigued from not sleeping obviously and yeah ended up averaging just un just under four minutes uh, okay for it and um, we came around the bend near the cove there to finish about probably about 800 meters out and I was just like this is it less than a k to go and I said see you guys and I just took off and I was like let's just finish so like I just twisted around the cove and, and finished and I think it was um I think it was 19 minutes something for the last park run. And, yeah, just to finish that, I was just like – and as soon as it was finished, I was fine. Like, I woke up more and I, it was like, you know, it's finished and we went and had breakfast, had a brunch. and But, um, yeah, just – I don't know, just – it's that group um, event thing too. It's like getting around people, uh, being involved in something that's a bit bigger than yourself. Um, obviously, it was for, for a good cause. It was for, for – you know, something other than just a personal goal, but, you know, you can set yourself personal goals for things like that. So, um, you know, I enjoy being a part of things that are bigger than myself um, and, and for other people as well. So it's nice to um, to be an inspiration, if you can, I guess, for other people and inspire other people to do good things for themselves. And it's certainly a, an inspirational performance. I'm not sure how many other people would be able to knock that one out. And and in, in that vein, we chat about the Birdies Backyard Ultra. So we had a chat to Margie Hadley just before. Um, two, 268 kilometres in 40 hours and 6.7 kilometre increments. Uh, what, what was the goal leading into that? Just to, to win the race or did you have a, a distance in mind? Um, I didn't have a distance in mind and I didn't have a time or hours in mind. Um, I'd run that event the year before at a different location. Um, Sean invited me to the inaugural one the year before um, and I was still recovering from my back from there, still getting back in training and heading towards Feral Peak. Um, so that was my one and only goal for that for the year before. Um, so when Sean invited me to the do the inaugural birdies backyard. I thought, well, I can do it and I can pull out if I need to, um, but I can use it as a good training run. And my goal for that year was 21 hours, uh, sorry, was 15 hours, um, which was 100 kilometres. And then 
to last, if I was all going well, no, no dramas with anything, with my back or anything like that, was to get to 24 hours, which was 100 miles, which was feral peak. And with the vertical climb on birdies, uh, the vertical climb was over 200 metres per lap, I think it was. So, oh, wow. okay. yeah, so getting to 24 hours was going to basically be feral peak with mm -hmm. the vertical climb and the distance. So that was sort of my little goal for that was just, it was like a training run. That was how I was looking at it. Um, you know, I could pull out at any time, but, you know, if I could get through it, then I was in very good stead to then run feral pig um, what, four months later or three months later or it was. So then, yeah, so obviously that have ended in 21 hours and I, I was the last one to run to finish that one. So um, stoked to get that one. Um, and, and looking back now, like that, that event there was the event for me where I said to myself, I'm back. That was the point there where I went, you know what? I'm back. I've had my surgery. I've done the rehabilitation. I've taken my time. I've done all the right things and I'm back. And it wasn't until the last lap when I took off on the last lap that I uh, realised that. And I actually took off on my own was within the first couple of 100 metres, I literally had to slap myself across the face and say, get this lap done because it's not done yet. Mm. But I was I was a mess emotionally just in myself and almost started crying and everything because not that anyone knew, but it was like I was just reliving the journey I'd lived over the last 18 months. Mm. And it was like, oh, my gosh, I'm back and I'm going to win this event and I'm back and this is awesome. And anyway, um yeah, won the events, so that was awesome. That was a bonus. Come to uh, last year um, was a different story. So I didn't go into last year's um, Birdies Backyard with a goal as such. Um, my goal was simply to be the last one still running. Um, and that might sound a bit arrogant, I guess, but for me, um, I sort of thought that if you set yourself a goal, you're limiting where you're going to go because if you reach that goal, mentally you're going to be thinking, well, I've done what I need to do. Mm. And I didn't want to get into that mental headspace. For me, um, my mental headspace was just keep going, keep going, keep going until you are the last one still running. Um, and, yeah, so that's that's where it ended up. I mean, uh, it was 40 hours. Um, I did sort of put myself a little mental goal of 60 hours. Um, that was, I'd sort of set myself um, sort of saying, you know, it could go for that long. Um, I didn't know if it would go longer than that, but I'd sort of, that was the only sort of um, uh, bench I'd put on, on the race at all was maybe 60 hours. So I'd sort of set myself a mental mentally for 60 hours just um, to set myself some sort of structure, some sort of um, um, outline of uh, different things for things like um, eating and, and nutrition and, and, and power naps and things like that. So um, the, plan, the plan was simply to be the last one standing um, with the, obviously the idea of possibly 60 hours. So was there someone pushing you up until that last lap? There was another, another runner in the race? Yeah, well, that so that event only lasts as long as the second last finisher or the last um, runner. So as soon as that last runner stops running, the, the event finishes. Um, yeah. So Phil Gore 
was um, the runner who finished on 39 laps. He completed the 39th lap. Um, and we were both at the start line to do the 40th one. And um, I didn't know it at the time when we took off, but um, we took off for the 40th lap. And um, he just collapsed at the line and, and didn't go on. So I had to finish that next lap to win the event. Mm. Um, but, yeah, because he made the cutoff um, and made it, uh, I had to run the extra lap on my own to, yeah. to win it. So, Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And uh, I, I believe you were coming in around that sort of half an hour mark, giving yourself half an hour to kind of rest and recover for the next lap. What do you do with your time for that that rest period? Yeah, like uh, various different things, uh, depending on the time of day and how I'm feeling, that sort of thing. Um, most of it was just relaxing, uh, just, you know, the little things, go to the toilet, sit down, um, change your shirt, put a fresh shirt on so you're not cold and wet, um, you know, just, just things like that. Um, have something to eat, drink, obviously, um, look after yourself like that. Um, and at night time, um, I just tried to have a few power naps uh, as best I could. Um, and that was the plan. That was my plan to, uh, of why I was running as fast as I was running. Uh, I think the goal originally was around about 35 minutes, roughly, per lap, um, which I think I think 32 minutes is about a 4.45 average um, per kilometre. So that that pace for me is very, very comfortable. Um, so anything sort of around that uh, sort of 4.45 to 5-minute pace is very, very comfortable. Um, so I figured if I could run that pace get the lap done, have that 20 minutes at least um, to just, you know, do what I want to do. Um, it sort of, to me, it was going to set me in good stead. So knowing I'd done those park run ultras, um, I'd obviously done the 16 hours, done the 24 hours of those. Um, I, I, I did Birdie's Backyard the year before. So, you know, I've done those three events where it was stop-start, um, so, yeah, I was fairly confident in, in my ability to be able to uh, manage that. And um, although it was a quicker pace, um, I just felt, you know, that's where my body's very comfortable and that, that then gives me still time to, um, you know, recoup and, and eat and be able to manage myself to be able to, you yeah, know, go as long as I needed to go. Yeah, mate, fantastic. It's a, um, yeah, a really impressive performance and... and Certainly, as I said to Margie, it's an OCD person's dream, that race. The numbers are fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. One of the guys, I think it's Simon, who was uh, running the same, he came up to me and I didn't even realise at the time because at the time I just sort of, I feel bad in a way because I think sometimes I zone out and I just, I'm in my own headspace and I don't hear everything that's said and and if someone comes and tries to socialise with me, I, I could seem a bit like arrogant or like, snobbish or whatever but it's not it's just I'm in the zone I'm focused but uh, later on I, I with some footage that was taken he came up to my camp and he was like so so what's the deal he was like you're getting faster is, is that the plan and and it wasn't the plan but um yeah he, he just was like and then I saw another film later he's like yep it's 32 minutes uh, if you get to 33 minutes you'll be um you know something's going wrong because you, you can you know, put your clock to him, basically. So, um, yeah, I did a few a quicker laps. Um, I did I did want to do a lap that was um, under 30 minutes, mm -hmm. um, a little bit like the year before. Um, 
I think in uh, 2019, I did, um, I was averaging about 42 minutes, 43 minutes per lap, and that was because it was a more technical, harder course. Um, so I wasn't allowing for power naps as such in that one. But um, in that one, I was allowing a bit of time for recovery and all that sort of stuff, for the stretching. Um, but um, I did a quicker lap in that one. I think it was about the seventh lap in. I did a 36.20 or something like that. And um, yeah, quickly went, yeah, let's not do that again in a hurry. And let's go back to the 42 minutes and sit comfortable. But it wasn't because it was uh, undoable, but it just it wasn't going to be, I wouldn't have lasted if I'd stayed, tried to stay that quick. Right. And um, played a long game. Yeah, so did that. And uh, then, of course, the last lap, I had that emotional start to the last lap. And then I thought, you know what, let's smash this last lap out and see if we can beat my quickest time. And, and um, he ended up doing a 36.01, I think it was, for the last lap, which was obviously my personal best for that for that course. So I sort of had the same thought, you know, set these silly little goals for myself, had that same sort of thought last year. Um, I said I was averaging about 32, 33 minutes and I wanted to do a sub-30 lap at some stage um, just because I knew it was like 30 minutes. I thought, well, let's try and do under 30 minutes and... I think it was the 39th lap um, where I went, okay, let's do it now. I don't know when the event's going to finish. I knew Phil was sort of on his last legs. He wasn't looking super strong at that stage. So uh, the 39th lap, I decided I'm going to do a quick one. And I think I did that one in 29-something. It was 29.40-something or 29.50 or something. It was just under 30 minutes, which is what I wanted to achieve. Um, and... Um, yeah, and then, of course, Phil just came in on that one and then didn't kick go out the next lap after that. So um, just had, had one more lap to get it done. Plenty of gas in the tank still. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of getting uh, quicker, so when 40 years, of, 40 years of age, you've just run, you know, your 5K park run PB this year, your 10K track time trial PB this year, and your marathon PB just in the middle of last year. How do you keep getting better as you get older, mate? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's determination or what. I think, I think it's the consistency. Um, Tony Smith, my coach, he's, he's a big one on consistency um, and a big one on um, uh, volume. So, you know, if you've got the volume in your legs and, you know, you're in good steads and if you're consistent in your training and everything you do, um, you know, you're going you're gonna to be up there to continue to do what you love to do and do it, do it well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite funny because after my surgery, or pre-surgery, my 5K park run uh, PB, I think was 17 minutes flat. And, you know, I was pretty stoked with that. I, I actually got to 18 minutes, I think it was, uh, before that. And I was like, oh, that's really cool, you know. And, and then I was training for Feral Pig, um, for my 2018 redemption, uh, 2019 redemption, which obviously got postponed. Um, and I was doing no short stuff, no interval work, just simply long stuff on the trails, uh, a lot of hard stuff out on the trails and stuff, a lot of vertical climb, um, which obviously can help with speed um, on flat, uh, straight stuff. And um, yeah, I managed to pump out um, sub 17s without doing any speed work, just from doing long endurance stuff with mm-hmm. the vertical climb and um, 
Tony, though, uh, since being coached by him, he's had me doing interval training as well, um, as well as hill interval training, which is very, very good. Not everyone likes doing that. I enjoy those sessions, but, um, yeah, I love climbing hills, so it's, it's, I enjoy those sessions. But I don't enjoy normal threshold interval sessions as much, but um, I like the hill interval sessions. But um, I think that's a key as well. I think... Um, Having the, mixing the training up, having the uh, threshold, you know, training as well as the longer endurance training, um, mm. that's just helped my running immensely. Um, mm. And yeah, just obviously being driven as well. Um, I mean, I, my plan isn't to continue getting faster, and it never really has been, but it, it's been more the long stuff, you know. Once I got, like I said, once I first started, did that first 50k at Lark Hill. Um, it's my first ultra before I did my marathon. Um, for me, that was like, wow, I found my niche. I found what, what I'm good at. Let's keep going down that line. And, and I did. I just ended up getting quicker and quicker on the shorter stuff as well. And um, I'm nowhere near quick enough in, on the shorter stuff to compete with the elite guys in, in that regard. But, um, you know, I'm pretty proud of what I'm able to do and what I'm able to push my body to do. And like I said, I'm 40 years old. So, I mean, you know, for me, 40 years old, post back surgery and, and being able to do what I love doing and do it well like I am, I'm, I'm, I'm just thankful. I mean, I'm just blessed to, you know, have the ability and blessed, blessed to, um, you know, fine-tune it, I guess, with the, with the training and, and the help that I get from outside with my coach and everyone that supports me along the way. So, yeah. I mean, it's a, uh, it seems to be a common thread amongst uh, runners is this idea of gratitude, and you certainly uh, you certainly have that in spades. So, mate, c- congratulations on a, a tremendous achievement in the Aura Ultra Runner of the Year um, and, and just some amazing results there. It's just mind-blowing, some of the numbers. Um, and I'm sure listeners are tired just thinking about uh, yeah, 268Ks there. So... Yeah, it's just so impressive and great great to chat to you about determination and uh, just just the drive that you possess. So, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show and um, we look forward to following your adventures. What's uh, what's next on the agenda for Michael Hooker? Um, well, we're supposed to be – I was supposed to be doing Delirious West um, last month in February, but obviously with COVID and things that happened there, it didn't uh, go ahead. Um, so I was pretty bummed, a bit like uh, with Feral Pig Redemption in 2019. But um, for me, it was just like, okay, well, I'm trained up, I'm ready for something long, and, and I wasn't going to do, um, like, Delirious West was all I had on my, on my plate at the time. And uh, it was like, well, what next? And so I looked around and, at the calendar and stuff and was like, well, Herdy's front yard's there, and I'm pretty good at Birdie's Backyard and that's the same format. So I thought, well, let's jump on that and see what we can do. So, um, yeah, just tweak the training with Tony a little bit and um, just aiming for a different goal. So, yeah, Herdy's uh, front yard in a couple of weeks. And, um, yeah, different course again, uh, different different, um, terrain and um, same format. So we'll see what happens. Very good, mate. Well, you've got the uh, you've got the format down pat by now. Um, how, how do people follow uh, follow you, mate? Are you on on social media, Strava, that sort of stuff? Yeah, I'm on, on uh, Instagram and uh, Facebook, but um, yeah, Hooks09 uh, is is my Instagram. If anyone wants to jump on board um, on Strava as well, just as Michael Farlap Hooker. Uh, Farlap's 
a name given to me by the Secret Rocky Runners as uh, my trail name, and they like to give out little funny trail names. So, um, yeah, so if, if anyone's interested, uh, that, that's what that is. I love it, mate. Heart as big as far lap. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I was sort of not keen on the name when they first gave it to me because uh, obviously we know the outcome of far lap, and I said, look, I'll accept it on, on one condition, that my ending's not the same as hers. <laughs> Mate, uh, yeah, I, I think you're pretty safe there. <laughs> Mate, <laughs> thanks again for your time, Michael, and uh, yeah, good luck in the, in, the, in the front yard and for the rest of your, your adventures and um, we follow your progress closely. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. No thanks for letting me be a part of it. No worries. Yeah. 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 Yeah.